that the gospel is still being preached, that people are still hearing the truth, that Christ died for their sins, was buried, and rose again. Disappointed that we're not together, but I remember Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Again, it doesn't say that all things are good, but I am convinced because I believe God's word that all things work together for good. This morning, I want to thank him in all things and for all things because God's word says that is his will. So even thanking him this morning for how we have to come together. I'm hoping and praying for revival. I'm praying for an awakening. I'm praying that people are going to wake up and understand that that the most important thing in life is that relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, I want us to talk about the triumphal entry of our Lord and Savior into the city of Jerusalem. I know that I said last week that we would be covering 2 Thessalonians, but I forgot that this Sunday is Palm Sunday and that next Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. So we're going to be celebrating Resurrection Sunday, but you need to understand that we're also going to be celebrating the resurrection of Christ today. We're going to be celebrating the resurrection of Christ tomorrow and the next day and the next day. For here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, we celebrate the resurrection of Christ every single day. We celebrate the fact, we rejoice over the fact that Christ was delivered for our offenses and he was raised again for our justification. What a perfect salvation we have in Christ. So we rejoice and we celebrate that every single day. So this morning, we're going to set aside the study of 2 Thessalonians for a couple of weeks, and we're going to concentrate on the events surrounding a Palm Sunday. And then next, next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating, and we're going to be talking about the death, burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All around the world, even in isolation, uh, people are observing this day when a Jewish carpenter from an obscure village in an obscure country rode into an obscure city, at least by the world standards, not on a prancing white stallion with legions of warriors following him in military rank, but lowly on a donkey. You know, folks, when you consider the enormous impact of this man from Galilee on the civilization of the world, on the history of the world, that should be sufficient evidence that he is exactly who he claimed to be, God incarnate. The history of this world includes thousands of individuals who burst on the scene, who flashed brightly for a few moments in history, but then faded into obscurity. But this, this man was no ordinary man, on no ordinary mission. When you think about it, the major cities of Rome and, and Athens and, and the, the entire world, they were teeming with people who considered themselves important on the world stage. Emperors and kings, rich and powerful, influential. 
And this event that we're going to be looking at today uh, would have seemed a joke to them. I'm sure they were thinking those crazy Hebrews cheering a carpenter, a nobody, and riding on a donkey? Why, that may have seemed hilarious to them. There was no pomp, there was no grandeur, and there was no splendor. Why, they probably thought he only had 12 followers uh, who argued who was going to be the greatest in his kingdom. One of them was about to betray him. One was going to deny him. One was going to doubt him. And the crowds calling him king now were soon going to be screaming, crucify him, crucify him. And by the world's standards, he was not very successful at the time. Inconsequential, inconsequential, they thought at that point. Unless here indeed was the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, the ruler, the creator, the sustainer of the universe, humbly riding into a place seething with hatred and bitterness for him. His crime being God. Burdened with the truth that the world, that Israel, his own people, did not want to hear. And the triumphal entry, I believe, is one of the most interesting and meaningful events in the Gospels. It is definitely a fulfillment of prophecy. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. But was that all? Was this just another verifiable indicator, another prophecy fulfilled among many? That Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was the Christ, that he was the Messiah? Important as that is, and it's true, absolute true, there is still so much more meaning and substance to this amazing story. And it's critical as to who Christ was, as by faith we trust him. And not, not only who Christ was, but who Christ is. And as we look at this event this morning, there are two passages that I, I want you to keep in mind as we study Christ coming into Jerusalem. John 1, 29 and verse 26, uh, verse 36, uh, John the Baptist, when he sees Christ coming in verse 29, he says, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And in verse 36, he says it again, Behold the Lamb of God. Then in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, starting with verse 6, and I beheld, and in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the lamb, having every one of them harps, and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, 
for you were slain and you have redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. And you have made us unto God kings and priests and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beast of the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. The scriptures identify the Lord Jesus Christ indeed as the Lamb of God. During the time of the Lord Jesus, the world was a very dangerous place. Jerusalem was a very dangerous place. It was evil and cruel, including God's favored nation. Israel was in bondage not only to Rome, but in to sin. God's word says that in the fullness of time, Christ came just at the precise moment in history when the conditions were perfect. Collectively, the nation of Israel's heart was hardened and sinful, and in this setting, into this setting, Christ came in order to fulfill the purpose and plan of God. Now, before we get into the triumphal entry, I want us to take a quick look at the spiritual condition, or especially of the religious leaders, of the chief priest and the Sadducees and the Pharisees. I want us to take a quick look at their their attitude. Go with me to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, this is the story where Lazarus is raised from the dead. I'm going to start with, with verse uh, 39 of John chapter 11. And Jesus said, take you away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him that was dead, says, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, Said I not unto you that if thou would believe, thou should see the glory of God? And then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that you had heard me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was bound about with a napkin. And Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Now, as we get into the heart of the Pharisees and the chief priest and the spiritual leaders of Israel, I want you to realize what had just taken place. The Lord had caused a man who had died to literally be resurrected and to live again. So what was their reaction, these chief priests, these Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel? Well, in John 11, verse 45, Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. Verse 46, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. 
These were the temple spies. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, What do we do? For this man doth many miracles. So they are admitting that he's doing all sorts of miracles. They recognize the fact that these signs and wonders were being performed by Jesus Christ. In verse 48, if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him. And the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. They weren't doubting the miracles. They weren't questioning the miracles. They were blind to the offer that the true Messiah was making to the nation of Israel, to his chosen people. He came into his own, and his own received him not. And it's because of the hardness of their heart. They were not doubting that these miracles were taking place. And one of them, named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said unto them, You know nothing at all. Basically, he was saying, You don't realize the seriousness of this, nor consider that it is expedient for us, that is the nation of Israel, that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not. And this spake he not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for that nation. See, the Holy Spirit was even using the high priest at that very moment to get the message out loud and clear. The high priest was telling them exactly what was taking place. Folks, they were without excuse. But again, because of the wickedness and the hardness of their heart, because they were afraid that they would lose their place, that Rome would step in and, and take away their position, that they were not about to let this man live. Verse 52, And not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. Basically the fulfilling of Jeremiah 23 and Jeremiah 31. He was talking about those prophecies and Isaiah talking about how God was going to gather his people. The Holy Spirit was not leaving anything to question during this time. And as the high priest spoke, instead of their attitude being, then we better get right with God. Instead of saying, we recognize that this is the promised Messiah. Instead of understanding that Jesus was the Christ, their attitude from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. No wonder Christ told them or called them. Uh, whited sepulchers. No wonder he called them vipers because they were evil and they were leading the nation of Israel astray. They were, they were leading them away from God. And Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews but went there into a country near to the wilderness and into a city called Ephraim. And there continued with his disciples. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand. And many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus and spoke among themselves 
as they stood in the temple, What think you, that he would not come to the feast? They were wondering, is he going to come to the feast? See, here's what we need to understand. If Christ did not come to the feast, then he was breaking the law. Then he was not the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. They could have used that against him. If he comes to the feast, they have plans to capture him. They have one who is going to betray him. Or they've asked men to betray him. So they, they think they're in a pretty good position. If he doesn't come, then he is breaking the law because all males were required to come to Jerusalem during the feast of Passover. Verse 57, now both the chief priest and the Pharisees had given a commandment that if any man knew where he were, he should show it that they might take him. And they've already said, take him in order to kill him. So him coming to Jerusalem was mandatory. But he was not walking openly among them any longer. So no wonder the Lord told them, you honor me with your lips, talking about the Pharisees and the religious leaders, but your heart is far from me. The condition in the nation of Israel was ripe with sin, and the hardness of their hearts was incredible. They ask, if anybody knows where he is, let us know so that we can kill him. All this time, they were preparing for the Passover. Am I the only one that sees the hypocrisy, the blindness that was going on? As they were saying, we want to know where he is so we could kill him. And on the other hand, they're saying, oh, do you, uh, they were preparing for the observance of the Passover. Some of them were even saying, hey, do you know where we can get a, get a lamb for this Passover? They were preparing. They were preparing for the Passover to observe that very sacred feast that points to the day that God the Father had delivered Israel. Here's what's interesting about that. I want you to turn with me to Exodus. To Exodus chapter 12. This plays such an important part in the triumphal entry and exactly what was going on on this day. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. Exodus chapter 12, verse 1. And the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month, which was the month of Nisan, or Abid, this month shall be unto you the beginning of months, and it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth month, in the tenth day of this month, in the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls, every man according to his eating, 
shall make your count for the lamb. And your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats, and you shall keep it up until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Nisan the 14th is the day called the day of preparation. It was the day that the lamb was to be slaughtered and slain. But on the 10th day of the month, that is the day that they were to select the lamb. So back to John, chapter 12. John chapter 12, starting with verse 1. Then six days before the Passover, six days, that would be Nisan the ninth. So six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, and there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. I think it's interesting that when we talk about our service and our worship of the Lord, you, you have three elements of our relationship with Christ. You have service, and here you have an example being put forth by Martha. You have worship being put forth by Mary, and you have testimony. You have witness being put forth by Lazarus. So all three of those elements of our relationship with Christ, of service, of witness, of worship, all taking place here uh, just a few days before the Passover as they've come together. And Mary takes that pound of ointment, about 12 ounces of, of spikenard, very costly, and she anoints the feet of Jesus. Now, this was six days uh, prior to the, uh, the Passover. Uh, she is going to anoint his head again for burial two days before the Passover. Verse 4 in John 12, Then said one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And he bare the bag and bare what was put therein. Someone said that this uh, 300 pence was about a year's wage. Uh, someone said it was about $50 in today's uh, economy. But the point of it is, is she had reserved this. She had saved this in order to anoint the Lord Jesus. It was an act of worship. Then Jesus said, Let her alone against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor always you have with you, but me you do not have always. And much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but 
they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. What a miraculous sign that was. As a matter of fact, all through the book of John, we have him healing. He raised the, the, the lame man. He caused the blind to see. He raised the dead. Uh, as a matter of fact, in each one of those episodes, uh, in John 5, 16, uh, the lame man was healed. And what did the Pharisees want to do? They wanted to kill Christ because of it. In John 9, 16, he healed the blind man. What did they want to do? They wanted to kill Christ because of it. And then here again, with the raising of Lazarus, they're wanting to kill him. But here, all of this was a fulfillment of Isaiah 35, where it talks about the fact that the Messiah was going to do all of these things. Isaiah 35, 5 spells it out specifically what the Messiah was going to do, that the lame were going to walk, the blind were going to see. That was a sign, that was an indication that Christ Jesus uh, was definitely the Messiah. But their hearts were so wicked, their hearts were so hardened to what God was demonstrating as he showed forth his love and his mercy. And so here, these Jews came together. They came together to see Lazarus. Verse 10, but the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Again, it shows you how hard-hearted and evil they were. Because that by reason of him, many of Jews went away and believed on Jesus. What a remarkable, remarkable aspect of that story is. Chapter, uh, verse 12, the story continues. On the next day, so if six days before the Passover was Nisan the ninth, on the next, on the next day, it would be Nisan the tenth. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, and they took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king comes sitting on an ass's colt, and these things understood not his disciples at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then remembered they these things that were written of him and that they had done these things unto him. And the people, therefore, that was with him, when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead, bear record. And for this cause the people also met him, for they that heard that he had done this miracle and the Pharisees therefore said among themselves, Perceive ye not how he prevailed? You prevailed nothing. Behold, the world is gone after him. So their desire to kill him was even more prevalent. So on this day, Nisan the 10th, Jesus Christ was riding into Jerusalem, presenting himself on this day that the Lamb was to be chosen. On this day that the spotless, perfect lamb was to be selected for the Passover, Jesus Christ 
was riding into Jerusalem on that very day, presenting himself as the Lamb of God. Now, part of the irony here is I am sure there were many of these people who were along the pathway as Christ rode in that was, that was screaming, Blessed is the King of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. Many of these that were proclaiming him king would be among those that would soon be yelling, screaming, crucify him, crucify him. The spotless Lamb of God, the one without blemish, was soon to be slaughtered and his blood spilled out. Friends, that day that he rode into the midst of the cries of Hosanna, cries of deliver us, O King of Israel, he was presenting himself as that sacrificial lamb, the ultimate Passover lamb. I'm going to ask Tim if he would 